If I can encourage you, if you've not already done so, to take your seats. Please feel free to bring uh, your drinks with you. If you don't know who I am, my name's Adrian, and I will be taking us through the next part of our morning, uh, where we're continuing where Mike left us last week uh, in this phenomenal, amazing series that will lead us up to Easter, uh, which you've entitled Love Poured Out, where we're literally looking at the last 24 hours before Jesus was crucified. And it is through the book of John, because what we're going to realize week in, week out, is that what Jesus says and does during those 24 hours matters. He makes the most of those last 24 hours. And so it's with that in mind. And today we're going to look at um, quite a long section of scripture, although we're going to zoom in in a small part. Uh, but why I want us to look at the whole thing in context is because I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments where you join in a conversation after it's already started. And when you join in a conversation after it's already started, you find that you're playing catch-up and there's a potential that you can end up misunderstanding something of what everyone else is talking about. And today I want us to do that in respect to what's happening and what we're going to look at in respect to Jesus. And so just to set the scene where we've got to is last week what uh, Mike looked at was the whole moment of this very intimate gathering. It would have been normally a gathering of family. And so this was an intimate gathering of friends to celebrate a feast that was known as the Passover. And in it, Jesus turns this whole feast upside down by pointing to it to say this is going to have totally new meaning. A meaning that we now call communion, what we've celebrated this morning. But in it, he also does this most remarkable thing, is he actually gets down and washes each of his friends' feet in order to show them that this is the pattern of what it looks like to follow him. That he's willing to lay down everything and humble himself for others. But more than that, he's pointing to this greater thing. Of this moment that Jesus wasn't just going to wash their feet, he was actually going to be able to wash everything that sticks to us, that can leave us feeling guilty and ashamed. But what he's going to do through his death and resurrection was to clean us up. And so Mike looked at that last week, and in this moment of this kind of wonderful, intimate, beautiful setting, suddenly we find that the tension changes. And we find that for the first time, Jesus actually is shown to be troubled troubled in mind, troubled in what's about to happen, and speaks about one who's about to betray him. And we find out that then the one who is going to betray him, Judas, leaves the scene. And at that point, Jesus continues. And so it's not just all my voice for the next bit of time. I've asked a friend of mine, Lizzie, to come and read this chunk of scripture. What I'd ask us to do is, Lizzie, please come up. I'll keep talking for a moment. It's, it's not going to appear on the screen behind us. If you want to look at it in your Bible, you can follow it. Otherwise, just take in the story. Taking what's happening. Maybe close your eyes to imagine being there. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I have told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, 
Will you really lay it down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, and you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that, will, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am, the, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in, in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son." You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and, will, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all these things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give, you, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away 
and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of, the wo for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes to the world so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Thank you loads, Lizzie. As I said, it's a long passage, but I want us to hear it because it's so important sometimes that we get into the story rather than jumping straight to a verse and then trying to see, well, how's this thing going to play out? Whereas what I want us to do is actually look at something that I think is at the centre of this passage that allows us then to navigate everything that's going on in this story. And what I want us to therefore look at is, and what I've entitled this morning is, A Love Poured Out Brings Us Home. And what we find in verse 23 is, Jesus says this, he says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them, and we, that's Father, Son, and Spirit, God, will come to them and make our home with them. That Jesus, in this moment of talking about unbelievable ways of how he's going to pour out his love for us, of pointing to his death on a cross, of within it, as he's talking about that, the confusion, the betrayal, the abandonment that's been spoken of by his closest friends. And yet in that moment, Jesus is seeing this as an opportunity to bring ultimate comfort to them, ultimate comfort to us, in order that we'd get to understand something of what he's seeking to reveal through his love poured out at the cross. And then there are so many different ways, as we're going to see week on week out, of what Jesus has accomplished through the cross. And today I want us to look at this whole area of home. As we're living, if you like, in a world at the moment where home is a big question. We find that there's a rise of nationalism. And at the moment, I'm not going to suddenly go on one in terms of politics. I just want to kind of hold a lens up of what's going on at the moment. So we find there's a rise in terms of nationalism and saying, actually, you need to be where you belong. There's also a question in terms of immigration. Of what about people where they can't live where they were? What happens to them? Where's home going to be for them? Then if we zoom right into ourselves, we're, we're living within a moment as a church community where we know that we need to leave this place on the 30th of April. And therefore we know that there's some possibilities, but we're living both with a definite leaving date, but we don't know quite where it's going to be yet. And so for us, it kind of causes us to think, well, what is home then? And Jesus wants us to understand that home isn't somewhere, it's someone. And what we're going to discover is this home that he offers is characterized like no other. And what we discover is that this home is characterized by belonging, love, peace, security, hope, encouragement, and comfort. But before we get to unpack how he reveals that, because I don't want you just to take my word for it. I think, oh, well, that sounds quite nice. Let's go and live in that home then. No, I want us to understand why do we need it. Well, firstly, we need to understand that we need home that we live as individuals on this planet with a desire for home, a need for home. So Augustine, a great man of faith in the past, said this, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. There's something built in humanity which is unique to the whole of creation that has this element of rest, restlessness that's always looking for something. 
However much we put in, however much things we've got around us, there's still at the very core of our being this restlessness of saying, there's something else that would cause me to know this deep sense of rest and hope. In actual fact, you find it's actually the whole of the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible, you can kind of headline in different ways. And I kind of like doing that because it reminds us that what we look at is part of a much bigger story. That you and I are part of a much bigger story. So we find in Genesis 3.23, at the moment where mankind, humanity, decided to say, we want to live with ourselves at the center rather than who you are, God. That it causes this big ramification. A ramification of how we relate to God, how we relate to one another, how we relate to the whole of creation. And then it causes this place where humanity had been created to dwell, which was to be home for them, a home where they enjoyed relationship with God, which was a place called the Garden of Eden. And I feel like it was the starting point. It was meant to then fill the earth. But because of what happened there, because humanity said, no, we're going to go it by ourselves, actually what happens is it all breaks. So we get to this point in Genesis 3.23, where God says, so the Lord God banished them, or him, Adam and Eve, from the Garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he had been taken. And from that moment on, humanity were left as wanderers. Of those who'd been created to dwell in a home with God. And now weren't able to be in that home. And if you like, if that was the end of the story, that is the darkest, most tragic story ever to be brought into. And for think that humanity is then from that point being generated into that scale of just wanderers longing for this home that actually we can't ever get back into because we're banished from it. And yet the amazing story of the Bible is that God doesn't leave it there. And actual fact, in that very moment, hatches a plan and says, no, no, this isn't going to be how it's always going to be. And the rest of the story is the the way God then seeks to deal with the consequences of our actions of saying we're going to go our own way. And God's seeking to put that right and also then in turn to draw us back home. As we're going to see by the end of this morning, I promise you, that actually the story at the very end of the book is how this home we're then back into, where it will then fill the whole of the earth incredible story anyway so there's a need of home but we also understand there's a way to home I remember um, when my kids were smaller than they are now I remember taking them with another family to Legoland Windsor I don't know if you've ever been to Legoland Windsor Uh, maybe you'll never ever want to go there but it was all right it's pretty good and we went with another family so there's five of us and there were six of them and as two families, we were kind of going around Legoland. They were the pros. They'd been there many times before. We were the novices, didn't know what we were doing. And so at different points, because of the ages of our kids, we split up. And at one point, Lucy and I took our youngest daughter to go and do kind of a ride that was appropriate for her. And then our two elder kids, older kids were with the other family, queuing up to do a ride that was more appropriate to them. Fifteen minutes later, we get a text from the other family saying, Is Sam, who's my son, with you. I text back and I say, no, he is not with you. Do I deduce from the text that he's not with you also? And they say, yes, come back, capital letters, very quickly. So I then make my way relatively swiftly to where I know they are. We then start talking and looking around and see that Sam is nowhere to be seen. I then talked to the guy who's running the ride and I said, look, my son is missing. Um, Can you help me find him? And he looks to me and he says, "Uh, what does he wear? 
I said, well, this is what he's wearing. And then he goes off and he starts to look around himself. I said, surely you have a better procedure than this, than just you individually walking around trying to find my son. I can do this. And he said, well, there is. The problem we've got is there's a major incident that's just literally happened and, we, and radio silence has been put on and we cannot get in contact with anyone else. At this point, you dig deep in terms of reserves because you don't want to show total panic or fear. And so I'm thinking, all right, my son, who is around kind of six or seven, is now lost amongst however many tens of thousands of people. And he has no means in himself to find his way back to us. And we don't know where he is. And the structure that there is to find him, we can't use. Tell the other bit of the story. Sam weren't looking for us but he couldn't find us and found himself, and he still talks about it, in a roadway with thousands of people going past him and no one stopping to help him. And at one point, he's a pretty resilient guy, to be honest, and it takes a lot for him to shed a tear. And he got to a point and he said, then I just couldn't take it. And he just said, please, will someone help me? And still people walk past and then eventually, one lady stepped in and said, are you lost? And he said, yes. And so she then took him to a worker, and the worker took him to where they throw all the children that are lost. <laughs> and um, it literally exists. <laughs> and so I get asking some people back to my story, so I know nothing of that. It is now 50 minutes since Sam went missing. If you've got kids, you kind of know 50 minutes and you haven't seen them, and you're starting to think, oh, dear me, is this headline news? Um, still trying to be pretty chilled, still with the other two kids that are around saying, yeah, it'd be fine. Sam's okay. He's got a lot of hair. There's, there's... So, we then, so I then get to talk to someone and say, look, where do you take kids that are lost? So they tell me. They tell me where they go, but they can't take me there. So I then start running to where I know they take kids that are lost and walk in. And as I walk in, I see him. And I say to the woman, I say, that's mine. <laughs> and he runs up and we embrace. So there was a moment for Sam where he was lost. And he could do nothing about it. He had no way of finding us. He asked what he could do. But in the end, it needed me to do all I could to get to him. And in the same way, Jesus says this in 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reality is this, this home that was built within us, that we're longing for, the only way to get there is not within our own doing. It's not that if we try and work harder, we're going to get there. If we're going to try and be better, we're going to be okay and be allowed back in the garden, allowed to be back in right relationship with God. The reality is this. We're just stuck in a room saying, I'm lost. With a load of other people who are stuck in a room saying they're lost, playing with toys, trying to make it seem as though it's still okay. Because if we pretend we're not lost, it'll be okay. Whereas actually there's a father who sent his son to come and make a way through his life, death, and resurrection to say, you don't need to be lost anymore. I'm the way to be, go back home. And Jesus says it's that simple. 
that the only way to find home is through him. Then where is the home that he then offers? Surely that's then the question. If he's providing us a way home, if the home that's there to be had is only through him, what does it look like? Well, I'd say Jesus reveals that this home that he then offers us is something that is a home that we get to know within us, a home that he wants to build with us, and a home that is then for us. And we see it in this passage. So firstly, in terms of a home within us, if we skip to the next slide, John 14, 23, remember that verse, it says, we will make our home with him or with them. That what God, Jesus is promising here is that actually in terms of the home that he's going to bring, it isn't something where we're going to go to, it's actually something that's going to be in us. That God, that's why it says we, Father, Son and Spirit is going to come and dwell within us. John 14, 6, it says this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you be with, with you forever. That Jesus says, I'm going to give you one who's going to come and dwell within you in order that you'd know God himself, whose Father, Son, and Spirit is at home in you. Now, before we get there, I want to quickly tell you a story. I was talking to a friend of mine, Andy, who works a lot in the Middle East. And Andy had the privilege of being in a Middle Eastern city. I can't tell you which one because of some other reasons. Um, and he had the privilege of gathering with a number of Syrian refugees. And he was invited into their homes. Just happened to be meeting some other people, but they heard about him. They said, hey, come, and, come into our home. It's like a rented shack. And as he was there, they fed him. And they lavished just everything they had out of their poverty on him. And to be honest, Andy said he was sat on the floor and he just felt overwhelmed by everything they gave him. And he turned to the lady who was kind of the matron of the house and he said to her, look, I just want you to know I feel overwhelmed by your kindness and love. And she said, well, you shouldn't feel overwhelmed by that. She said, here's my reality. She said, in Syria, I had a physical home and I had many possessions. But because of the war, I had to leave it. I've lost loved ones. And yet in coming to this place, having left everything I left there, I've come to know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, I realize that I have more than I ever had before. See, what this lady had come to realize is that actually what we get through Jesus is a home that gets to go with us wherever we go. That it isn't about us going somewhere. It's actually knowing that it's there within us. See, Jesus says that we're going to have one who's like an advocate. That word advocate is an unusual word. I wouldn't normally look at the words, but because it kind of makes you look as though you're smarter than you really are, I always think. But the Greek word there, if we go to the next slide, it says this is a word called uh, parakletos. And that word parakletos is only used in the New Testament in John. It's not used anywhere else. And therefore, John's using a word to reveal something that he wants us to get hold of. And so if you look at different translations of the Bible, they translate that word, parakletos, in different ways because it reveals something different in each of the versions. You see, what that word actually speaks of isn't just advocate, but it's helper, comforter, teacher, counselor, and guide. That Jesus wants us to understand that when he comes to bring home within us, it's that he comes and brings the Holy Spirit who is God in us, who therefore comes to be our helper, comforter, teacher, counselor, and guide. So what does that look like? Well, it looks what Jesus says. So you go to the next slide. So I'm going to speed up because we're running out of time this morning. But it looks like this. It's about belonging. John 14, 18. That we get to know that we're not 
orphans. Remember, this is a setting that Jesus is speaking into, of kind of a family setting of intimacy. And he says, no, I'm going to cause the spirit to come in you. Why? Because it will cause you to understand you're not alone. You're not orphans. You're children of God. You're loved, John 14, 21. That we're loved by the Father and we're loved by Jesus. That love that is eternally existed. We were talking about this yesterday as a family because it blows our minds. That love, the Father, Son and Spirit, eternally loving community, always existed way before the planets and everything was created. Everything then is created out of that love in order that we'd be then drawn into that love. This loving community didn't create us out of a sense of desperation. I'm a bit lonely at the moment. I'll create humanity. No, create us out of this eternal love in order that we then can be brought in to that eternal love. Like a dance that was spoken of. That we don't hang around at the edge of the dance floor thinking, man, that's a pretty good dance trio. No, no, we're drawn into it. This loving relationship, peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says, I'm going to come by the Spirit in order that you'd know peace, my peace, regardless of circumstances, you'd know wholeness within yourself. Security and home, John 14, 16, sorry, security and hope, an advocate to help you and he'll be with you forever. In other words, this is security we live with, the home that we have is never going anywhere. The Spirit is always going to be there. Thinking, well, sometimes it doesn't feel like it. It may not feel like it, but he's there. Encouragement, John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit is going to guide us, going to push us. This is a home that is dwelling, that we're carrying wherever we're going, whatever's going on with us, that's causing us to know that we belong, we're loved, we've got peace, security, hope, encouragement. Surely that comforts us. That's just within. Quickly look at then with us. A home that we get to build together. Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another and as I have loved you. And then everyone will see who I am, basically. That's what he's saying. Why does he say it's a new command? Because he's actually said this before. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus does a subtle thing here. He suddenly goes, oh, yeah, love your neighbor as you love yourself. No, no, this is weighing you now. Love everyone else like I love you. Why is that? Because Jesus loves us way more than we love ourselves. Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to go to the cross to die. That's how much God loves us. And therefore, it means that to the measure of which we've understood God's love poured out to us is the measure by which we're going to pour out our love towards others. So therefore, as a church community, what we get to build as a home is a home that's characterized by love. Why do we keep it simple here? Love God, love people, because that's what Jesus said. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. That we seek to give ourselves in building a home together that is about love for one another. And that love is like Jesus loves. It's unconditional, it's sacrificial. Which means that everyone and anyone who comes amongst us, we don't go, well, you stay out because we really love each other. No, we say, you're so welcome, we want to love you too. Come and join this. Because when you taste of what we know, you realise that what we show is such a poor kind of reflection of the love that we've got to understand through Jesus. And so we build a home that's characterized by love. We haven't even got time to apply what that looks like. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, my favorite verses on love. If you want some homework to do, do this. Look at this passage and say, is this how I'm showing love to everyone within Oasis? Then say, is it also how I'm showing love to everyone else I meet? Because I tell you what, this is a sobering moment. 
of us understanding love has flesh and bones. There isn't some woolly feeling. It's something that transforms how we live. And in it with that 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7, when you get to that point, you think, well, I'm not sure if I'm doing that. That's okay. You don't have to beat yourself up saying, must love more, must love more. I know, I put my love on. I really love you. I don't really, but I kind of admit it anyway. No, it's that we say, God, I come back to you and say, I realise that my ability to show love is so being impacted because I realise I've not received your love as much as I should have done. So I come back and I say, Jesus, would you reveal more to me of your love towards me in order that I then pour out that same love to others? Which then brings us to the last thing, which is a home for us. And this is amazing. John 14, 2. I don't know about if you got engaged, and if you got engaged, how you did it. In Jesus' day, this is how you did it. You went up to your potential bride and you offered her a glass of wine. And if she chose to take that glass of wine, she knew she was saying, I'm willing to marry you. And if she took the glass of wine, what would happen then is the groom, potential groom, is then going to say some spoken words. And then after he's spoken those words, he would then disappear for a year and build an extension to his father's house where he and his new wife could live. And those words that he spoke at the moment she took the wine were these. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? And that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also will be where I am. These are words that these friends of Jesus, disciples of Jesus had heard year in, year out. People say, maybe some of them had said it themselves. Jesus wasn't using mystical language here. He was using an illustration of something they'd seen day in, day out, of a reality, of where a man, a young man proposed to a young girl and in it promised and said, I'm going to go and build us something. And within a year came back and said, hey, back, let's go and move in. And Jesus says, in the same way, no, I'm building you a home. I'm going to go. You won't see me. But I'm coming back. And boy, are you going to like the home that I've built. Jesus wants us to live with that level of assurance. That's why it's so important we understand the big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible is, starts off in a tiny garden at the beginning. There was meant to be a home that was meant to fill the earth. Yet humanity breaks it. Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to find a way of restoring this. So we get to the very end of the Bible, Revelation 21, 22, where we find that there is no longer a heaven or an earth. There's a new heaven and a new earth because the heaven where God dwells has come to be on earth. And in that place where God comes to dwell, it now becomes the new home for everyone who've centered their life on Jesus. A place where no more pain, no more suffering. A place where God himself dwells, where we can see him face to face. A place where we'll forever know that we're always loved. A place where every tribe and tongue lives in unity. That's the home we get to look forward to. Which is why it's so important that we live understanding that we're a people that know a God who poured out his life in order that he could show us his love. And in showing us this love, he's brought us home. Brought us home with him. Brought us home in what we build together. And brought us a home for the future. Therefore, my question is this. Do we know this home? That's like an uncomfortable question, isn't it? That's like yes or no. That's what it's meant to be. If it's no, does this home interest you? 
And would you like to know more? Because if you would, I'd love to talk to you at the end. If you do know this home, are you living in the good of it? Does that home that you carry within you shape how you are in your everyday life? Because I tell you what, for me, sometimes it doesn't. And if I'm looking at it and saying, I want to live more like a snail. I want to live more taking it slower, but realizing that I've got my home on my back. That wherever I go, the spirit is in me, within me, causing me to know that I belong, I'm loved, I've got peace, hope, security. Because I tell you what, when we live from that place, it transforms who we are. And are we really revealing this home to others? Isn't that we kind of walk around piously saying, look at me, look at the kind of home I have. I, could, I can do my billionaire home place and people can wonder at what I've got. No, we got it because we get to, get to show it. I tell you, for some of us in this room, the greatest way we can show it is on the 2nd of April, we announce to the world and say, I've moved into a new home. That's what baptism is. It's a proclamation of saying, I've moved in to the new home and God has come to dwell within. And if you've not been baptized, I would question why. I'm going to be slightly offensive. We're not always offensive, are we? We'll generally be very nice. It's okay if you don't want to. Now on this one, I say, why are you not getting baptized? If you've not been baptized and you're a follower of Jesus, man, you want to get the big stake out and say, I've moved home. That's what baptism's about. The most joyous celebration ever. And if you've not been baptized, I'd push you even further and say, as soon as this meeting ends, even if you've got to go and collect kids, which you do need to go immediately as soon as I stop speaking, is that just as you're going, you run to the front and you say to Gus, I'm in, I want to change my sign, I've moved, I'm getting baptized. If you've not got kids, you can leisurely walk to Gus and say, I'm in, I want to get baptized because I've moved into this new home because of Jesus. And the 2nd of April is going to be an amazing celebration as we celebrate outwardly what has gone on inwardly of a bunch of people who say, I've got this amazing new home. Can I pray for us? Then we're going to end. Jesus, I thank you so much that your life, death, and resurrection transforms everything for us in order that we can then cause your life that's transformed us to transform others. And I want to pray, God, that we wouldn't hear these words and think that was interesting or that was slightly speedy. I pray, God, rather we'd hear this and we'd say, no, this is where I get to dwell. I get to dwell with you, God. And I pray for those of us who are struggling with that at the moment. I pray would you come and would you reveal more of the reality of the fact that your home is now within us and we're forever at home with you. Amen. If you have got kids, can I ask you, rush, run, thank them for looking after them. If you haven't got kids, if you like prayer, particularly, I think, if you like prayer for anything in terms of illness, we'd love to pray for you. If you'd like prayer for anything, just because you want someone to stand with you, we'd love to pray for you. And if you'd like prayer in terms of that sense of, I just know that I need to know God's at home within me at the moment, we'd love to pray for you. Lastly, if you would like to talk to me more about knowing Jesus as home, I'd love to talk to you as well. Otherwise, done. Grab a drink. Come forward if you want prayer. Thank you very much.